which is really pleasing to doing your will and that which is really pleasing before you. Today, we entrust into your hands our time together in the study of your very own word. I pray that you grant us your wisdom. May your spirit that indwells us illumine these words into our minds and into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to open uh, the fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And we are going to look at the first ten verses that will lead us towards the study of the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to discuss every commandment that is listed here in this chapter. I'm going to discuss only two of them. But first of all, we have known that the Ten Commandments was mentioned in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And in Exodus, it was given to the people of Israel. It was introduced to the people of Israel through Moses. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments was preached to the people. The Israelites were taught about the Ten Commandments, about the law. They were commanded to learn, now to, to hear, to learn, and to obey. So we can see here that Moses began to, to break into pieces the commandments of the Lord. So that the people will carefully understand them, assimilate them, ponder them into their hearts. And that they would, as they understand, be able to follow carefully everything that is being said about God, about his heart, about his will, and his plan. Now, if, you, if we go back a little bit in chapter 4, verse 37, Pastor Mike tasked this uh, in his previous message. Moses here explained how God delivered the forefathers of that present generation from Egypt. And Moses said to the people in that verse, because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and by his great strength. Now here we see that God remembers what he had promised to the forefathers of that generation, the very generation that Moses was facing in this context in Deuteronomy, he said, our God remembered the, his love, what he had promised, and what he did. They, they had, God had a different law for them, covenant for them, the covenant of circumcision, and not anymore in this particular context. So, but the, the motive by which God is giving another covenant to them was the love that he had for those men. And it led into a deep commitment on God's part that extended across the centuries. He remembers and he fulfills. In other words, 
God's move of establishing a relationship with the Israelites was motivated by that love that he had toward the forefathers of that present generation, the generation who was very much alive during that time. Now, in chapter 5 and the following chapters, we see a new and striking emphasis. Moses moved from history. He moves from the past into the Israel's now. Let us look at what we are going to do now, what we are going to to continue to receive from God. He insisted that God is seeking relationship and that was also true in the past. He said he sought relationship now not with our fathers anymore but but with us. We are going to discuss that at length as uh, we move into the meat or the center of the message today. But with us, with all of us who are alive here today, it is just so amazing to note how could a holy God take initiative in seeking relationship with sinful human being? Here is a holy God. And a a finite mind could not completely comprehend how could a holy God Seek a relationship with sinners. But it is true in this passage. Chapter 5 and the following chapters in Deuteronomy will help us understand this relationship that God is seeking with this generation of Israel, of the people of Israel. And we will begin by looking at the nature of this relationship. Before Moses discussed Uh, the Ten Commandments to them. He prepared their minds. He prepared their hearts and told them about the nature of this relationship. And then he will go on and say, these are the commands that will govern this relationship. If you will hear, learn, and obey, then you you will become the kind of person that I really wanted you to be. The nature of this relationship And the first is, you have that. There are several elements of relationship that we are going to define here. First, this relationship is personal. The Bible says, Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Remembering the the giving of the commandment or the law, the Decalogue uh, at the mount. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us. With all of us who are alive here today. Now Moses called all Israelites, not only the elders, not only a few people. Not only the adults, but everyone who is able to hear and understand. Moses commanded them to hear, to learn, to learn and to obey what he has to say. Then Moses said, hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws 
I declare in your hearing today. What does it indicate? This indicates that what he has to say to them is absolutely necessary. For what? For them to survive as a nation. For the survival of Israel as a nation. For the survival of every believer of God. This is necessary. So please come. Hey, please come. Each of you. Learn it and not learn it. Because what I'm going to say to you is simple. I'll make it sure that you are going to understand this. Because everything that I'm going to say to you is important. It will be necessary for you to survive as a nation. Moses saw the necessity of breaking the law into pieces. Then plant them into the heart and soul of the people. So that they will be filled. They will be fed. And become stronger. And so that they will survive as a nation. Now the principle is threefold. Here. Learn. Obey. Is it difficult to understand? And then Moses said, no, it's not difficult to understand. Perhaps you are horrified. Perhaps you are asking. No, it's not. When Moses said... The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb and not with our fathers. In verses 2 and 3, he was teaching the Israelites that this covenant was meant to govern the living now, not the dead anymore. Not the dead. Our forefathers had their own experience with God, living their lives under the authority and uh, the lordship and the rulership of God. Now this covenant is for us who, is, who are alive today. The relationship is between you, us, and God. And God who is also here and alive. Then he went on and said, Moses was telling them, you might be asking, Where did I get my authority to speak to you in this manner? (laughs) Moses, in this effect, according to these verses, was in the position to say this because he was the mediator of that covenant. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you are afraid of the fire. They were horrified because they were seeing a fire, a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire on the mountain. That gives us the idea that God in the form of a fire was really visible to the people of Israel when he was speaking through Moses. God wants to reach out and touch those people personally. But the people step back in horror. And so with the mediator, with Moses, God is able to send this message to the people. In effect, God is telling the people, Hey, listen, this is my desire. To love you, care for you, because I have chosen you. 
I have set my affection on you, not because you are a great nation. In fact, you are the smallest. I have not set my affection and love on you because you are a powerful nation. In fact, you are very weak. But I have loved you with an everlasting love just because I love you. I choose to do that. I have chosen you and I want you to enter into this relationship through this covenant with me. I want this relationship to grow and become more intimate. You as a people and me. It's between you and me. And these are the words that God wanted the Israels to hear, to learn, and obey. And then Moses went on to discuss all those commandments. Look, this threefold command of Moses to the people provided excellent advice for all God's followers. First, he wanted them to absorb, absorb and accept all this information about God. That's what hearing means. Not only hearing by passing, or, but they have to intently listen to everything that Moses had to say. And then, he wanted them to learn and understand the meaning and implications of all this stuff about God. When the Bible says, God is, so, is a sovereign God, what does it mean? What does it imply? Sovereign God is above all things in the world. And then he wanted them to put into action everything that they had learned so far and understood. Is that uh, difficult to understand, to take? Moses said, no. And all these three parts are essential to a growing relationship. You see, God is not commanding his people to enter into a relationship with him without providing the means for them to grow or for that relationship to grow and flourish. In the, in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, God, uh, the Bible is telling us that God has made everything uh, available for every believer to live a godly life and to grow mature as Christians. God doesn't want these people to come into a relationship with Him and then God said, okay, you already have relationship with me, I'll set you aside, I'll go to another one. No. He will continue to nurse that new believer and say, yeah, I am providing everything so that our relationship, relationship will grow and flourish. The next nature of this relationship is it is very urgent. He said in verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The relationship that God was seeking with the Israelites was urgent. It is necessary. It is imperative. The reason for this uh, could be better understood when we look at the context into which the Israelites were living. Look, the nations and cities that surrounded God's people were idolatrous. In the sense that the nations and the cities, the people that surrounded God's people were idolatrous. They worshipped many gods. They worshipped other things other than the one and only true God. They worshipped and served unknown gods. They bowed down uh, to 
carved stones, woods, metals, and many other things and personalities. And God wants His own to live a life that is holy and pleasing and peaceful. God knew that if His people will begin to copy the practice of the heathen nations, the idolatrous people that will lead them to a life that is defiled and destroyed. But God wanted them to be pure. Now, this is the reason for the urgency, for the necessity of this relationship. So, in effect, he was saying, uh, you don't know the gods. Do you? You don't know the gods that these people worship, do you? The people, of course, will say, no, I, I, we don't know them. Now, I am here in front of you and I am revealing myself to you. Which will you choose? To copy to go with the minds of these people or me. In effect, he was saying that because with me, your life will be lived in a holy and righteous manner. You will be having a right relationship with me and you will be upright in all your walks. Nothing can be thrown against you if you follow. Nothing can be thrown against you that will put you down. Every, every believer will continue to receive and accept anything in the world that Satan would throw against them. But nothing that Satan will throw against the believers will topple down the believers because of this relationship. Now verse 6 is crucial for understanding the whole thing. Look again at the verse. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. What do we see in here? The one important point that we need to understand here is that the Ten Commandments were given to a people already brought out of Egypt. They were already given freedom. They were already given or, or redeemed people. In, in the ancient biblical times, Egypt was always... Uh, has always been a picture of slavery. Slavery. Persecution. And all those negative things. That's in the biblical or ancient biblical times. And so, uh, God, through his own sovereignty and power, he willed to bring all his people out of that slavery, out of that situation and condition in their life, because he wanted to mold them. He wanted them to do something even greater than what they were doing when they were inside Egypt. And so he, he said, uh, in effect, I have already given you freedom. Now I am giving you this covenant. For the purpose that they will be enabled to express their love for and have fellowship with the Holy God. So. The law was not given to the people of Israel to achieve freedom. The Bible in the New Testament also says that freedom has always been granted freely through faith. The law was never designed to give people salvation. In essence, Moses was saying that since the Lord had taken the initiative in Israel's redemption, the people were compelled to acknowledge his right sovereignty. 
the right of sovereignty over them and to bow down to that sovereignty. They should be thankful. They should be appreciative of the redemptive work of the Lord and that they should be worshiping the God who brought them out of Egypt. Very solid teaching. And I could imagine the people, yeah, we realize that. Yeah, thank you, Moses, for bringing that wonderful message to us. Now give more, give more. And so Moses said, okay, we are going to look at what should govern this relationship. And that will lead us to the first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 7, uh, I was surfing the internet, I was uh, searching the internet, and I was trying to capture something that would uh, enable us, enable us to, to memorize and to recite the Ten Commandments in the easiest way we could. And I watched some video clips, I, I did not capture that uh, video. I did not rip that video. I will not show that here because it is in a form of a cartoon. But this is designed for adults and kids. Uh, The maker of that video uh, introduced the easiest way of memorizing, reciting, and remembering the Ten Commandments. And each commandment was associated with a picture and numbers. Like the first commandment is just like number one. The second commandment is uh, just like a person bowing to the Lord and that his, his uh, posture forms number two, something like that. But here, it's very clear. Without those pictures or animations, we could easily understand that God wants his people that they should not look, they should not even think of other gods before him. This is a call for the people to submit every area of their life to the rule of God. From head to foot. The phrase other gods is a technical term for idols and pagan gods. Which of course existed in the form of idols in the minds of their worshippers. But they were not real. These other gods, these images, whether they are in, in their minds, in their hearts... And whether they are visible, they are not real. These idols, these pagan gods could not hear, could not see, could not talk. And the Life Application Study Bible explains a God as something that people use as a driving force in their lives. Anything that comes in between is a God. Now, some people literally worship other gods. By joining cults or strange religions. Uh, Some evangelism major students at the Bible school where I graduated were required to explore the city. I just remember this story. They were required by the professor to explore the city in in General Santos as part of their uh, requirements for graduation, for finishing the course. They went around and attended different religious gatherings in the city. Then they reported back. They said they entered a place. Uh, there were three of them. One lady and two men. They said they attended 
they entered a, a hall, a place, and they saw a black cross which was hung inverted. A cross, something like that, like this. It was painted in black and it was hung inverted. And what was more or even surprising to them, the musicians were playing Hotel California and other rock music. I don't know what, what, the, what you really think about this music, but that was what they heard. Literally. You see, Satan is frontally attached the believers. Frontally, literally. It was obviously a satanic group worshipping Satan as their god. But in a more subtle way, many of us worship other gods by building our lives around something other than the one true God. In this book, or in his book, Counterfeit Gods, Timothy Keller mentions several things on which people build their lives around. They could not live without them. Uh, like love, of course this is human love. Money, success, power and glory. See, if our greatest desire is for all these things, we are devoting ourselves to something other than God. And that is a God that hurts the feeling of God. Truly. We will see that. The intensity of his emotion as we go along. There was a fishing magnate in General Santo City. He was a believer. He was a member of an alliance church. He testified that at the peak of his business, he could only sleep two to three hours every day. He spent almost all his time and devotion to all that he possessed. But God changed his heart. In all his fishing boats, he deployed pastors. Uh, it went on and on. And then many fishermen got converted. While they are uh, in the ocean, in the middle of the sea, uh, the pastor preached to them, taught them, discipled them for three months in the middle of the ocean. God changed the heart, the priority of this man. I was a member of the ministerial fellowship in Pasay City, now in Metro Manila. And we come to know a Chinese, a Filipino Chinese businessman. This businessman owns several inns and hotels in Metro Manila. He was brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ by listening to the Bible studies and the teachings and the preaching of the word by the pastors in Metro Manila. And he became a Christian. There was a complete turnaround in his life, ladies and gentlemen. A complete turnaround. At one gathering which I attended, he testified about his newfound life. This is what he said. He said that for so many years, his business was designed to destroy marriages. They will not reject and refuse entry any couple that will come in and spend three hours, six hours in their rooms, in their inns. And they are not even married couples. They, the, the, the partners were married to separate uh, spouses. Some of them are singles. And so he said, it hurts. It was so sad. God made me realize 
that my business was made, was designed, was used to destroy marriages. But when he knew the Lord Jesus, this is what he did. He converted his inns into family hotels. <laughs> he, he promoted his idea, his reformed business to the pastors, to churches. And many Christians, many Christians uh, really liked the idea. We went there, my wife and I checked in. And they required us two things. Wedding ring. The marriage contract. Without them, you are not accepted. There was a total turnaround. His business, his aims had changed. From destroying marriages to building family relationships. So God said to Moses, in that sense, you shall have no other gods before me. And you will benefit out of it. You will not regret it. What are we thinking right now? <laughs> Think of ourselves. Are we in this relationship? This is really beneficial for our growth as believers. That leads to the second commandment, actually. The second commandment is closely related. Actually, the first, second, third, and fourth commandments are closely related to each other. Focused mainly on God himself as the sovereign God. Here we read, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I cut that, that verse 9. So I put 9a. This commandment did not prohibit art in Israel, to tell you. Uh, engraving and carving is a form of art. In fact, the people were so uh, involved in beautifying the tabernacles. But this commandment doesn't prohibit that kind of art. But it prohibits the making of an idol to represent the Lord very clearly. This idol making has been practiced by the nations and cities surrounding Israel. And this practice poses some dangers. First, since other nations used idolatry to express their devotion to their gods, there was always the danger that the worship of the Lord could be contaminated by idolatrous forms of worship. Of course, it is obvious that the Israelites had learned the idolatrous practices of other nations and cities. They were aware of them, and they always had the tendency of copying. People will always have the tendency of saying, this seems good. This looks like it's okay. Let's make a photo, a picture, a portrait of God that will remind us, just like what they are doing. And it feels good. <laughs> it, is, it is here. One example of this practice today is taking a picture or making an image from out or out of wood, stone, or metal, forming, forming them into a statue, into something, into an image. Then people bow before them, venerate them, talk to them. This is a very 
hard, heavy teaching for the people of Israel during that time. Now, the second danger is this. Any attempt to represent God in any form from the natural and limited world is a direct attack to the sovereignty of God. To this effect, God says, I am a jealous God. For, for so many people, Christians, it is really difficult to understand. For them and for all of us, it is difficult to understand this phrase, I am a jealous God. But look at this thought. God does not share his sovereign position with any other. That's the only meaning of this phrase, I am a jealous God. He said, I am a sovereign God. I am on top of everything. Will I share my position of sovereignty to a wood? <laughs> to a picture that you create to remember me and you say you want to remember me through that picture or portrait? Will I share my, my position of sovereignty to a piece of wood, a, a stone, a metal? No way. I am the creator. I created all those things. But you made them. Those people make them. I am sovereign and I am jealous. If you think I would share my sovereignty with this or my position of sovereignty with these small things, you are wrong. I am a jealous God. How would you feel if someone took a picture of you, frame it, stared at it a lot, shows it or showed it to other people and talked to it? but completely disregard the real you. How would you feel? Hey, I'm here. I'm the real one. You're talking to my picture. Of course, we will understand when people are several miles away from each other and then they will go to their Facebook and then they will stare at the picture of their loved one and then say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But even then, when Facebook was... <laughs> was present during the time God will not allow that to happen. God desires a personal relationship. He desires to touch us. And He desires to feel our hand. Personal with His people. God knows that if there is something coming in between, we will never become the people He wanted us to be. So, we better... Grab his hand and say, Lord, yes, I understand. God did not only say, I am a jealous God, but he said, this more stern warning, more heavy and difficult. On the surface, uh, let's read this. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In other versions, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, the children of the fathers, to the following generations, and so on and so forth. On the surface, it appears that God would punish the children and grandchildren for sins that they did not even personally commit. That's unfair. God, that is not the real meaning of this. We have to understand that this phrase is a warning about the grave consequence of worshipping other gods. That is big deal. Big thing for God. 
the phrase, those who hate me, look at that, of those who hate me, must certainly refer to the children, of course, to the next generations, the children, and to the children of their children, and not to the fathers anymore. Children who hate the Lord will be punished, certainly. But, we need to understand that rebellious, God-hating parents, God-hating fathers, often produce children to the third and fourth generation who also hate God. What do you expect God would do? The parents who went on worshipping other gods will produce children and grandchildren who will also worship other gods. And then the punishment is there. As God uh, God's way of judging the sin of these people. So that's what it means. It is so sad that this kind of passage in the Bible are being used or is being used to create inaccurate teachings. Just like the teaching on generational curses. Generational curses. Uh, please note that this phrase does not support that teaching regarding generational curses. Many popular books that have been published claim that Christians are subjected to unknown generational curses that have detrimental effects on their lives, even in the present. The writers of these books offer their special knowledge that can break those curses. This verse does not support that teaching. Look in the same book in Deuteronomy. Twenty-four, verse 16. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. The Bible does not contradict itself. God knows what he is saying. God knows what he is doing. He says, I will punish the sins of these generations. Those who continue to hate me. Now, we can prove this to, the, to be true as we read verse 10. The, in, in contrary, our last verse says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's mercy. It is clear that God shows mercy to all who will faithfully keep his commandments. Even... Uh, when there is an expression of judgment and, and disgust and desperation, something like that, because people continue to worship other gods, God still has that mercy, a ton of mercy in his heart to be provided and given, rewarded to those ones who will continue to look up to him and follow, obey his commandments, to be faithful to him. Christians today, Listen, I am also listening to the voice of God. We sometimes are victims of wrong thinking that it is okay for us to build our lives around something. It is okay for us to get something and have that feeling that we cannot live without, without these things. Human love, many other things. God, in the beginning, clearly expressed that to the people. God does speak to us. 
in a very wonderful way. He speaks to us today, just as he did with the Israelites. He calls us to hear that we may be thoroughly instructed in the will of God. He wants us to learn and keep all his testimonies in mind and to treasure them in our hearts so that in the end, we may obey the whole counsel, the whole will of God, taking them as guide for us in our life. Friends, God wants our eyes fixed on him, focused on him. God is just like any lover who is unwilling to share our affection with competitors. Do not be confused about the word competitor. God is not competing competing with other gods. He created the universe and Satan made his way to thwart the wonderful creation and plan of God. And so he created these things in the mind and heart of the people. And these things compete with God. And now we have entered into a relationship through Jesus Christ. Just like those people in the past, they have entered into that relationship with God in a very wonderful manner, in a way that only God had set in his own choosing. This is your standard. Please come. Having that in our mind, we know that God doesn't want us to share this affection, this love to any competitor because he is the only God. Amen. I don't know where we are at in our walk with God today. Maybe this is your first time to hear the message of God and that God had spoken into your heart. Would you like to open your heart and say, God, you are real. You are in this, you are in this assembly. I would like to have a relationship with you. If that's your desire, God will honor you. God will honor that desire. And he will make in his own doing, in his wisdom, he will make a way for you to find that kind of relationship. He is right there beside you. He's right there. Now for all believers, for all of us, God through Jesus Christ is the head of this church. As a church, we are led or being led to love God, to worship him, to love Jesus Christ to love others, and to reach the world. We should not share this love to others that compete to God. Amen? May we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us today. For teaching me. Thank you for allowing us to see you, who you really are. Thank you for loving us so much. Lord, we just pray that those who are not sure that they have a relationship with you, we pray that you will help them to open their hearts to you and give them the desire to enter into a living relationship with you. Lord, you know, you're a wise God. You will make a way. And for AIC as a church, Help us not to look into other things that compete with our relationship, with our affection with you, or compete with you yourself. Thank you, Lord, 
for bringing us to your side. In Jesus' name.